It's week number three that I'm doing on this series called Tune-Up. Considering what a spiritual tune-up for our own souls may look like and how we can refresh our faith in God in ways that run a little more healthy and smoothly as God would design and desire for us to do. Many years ago, uh, one of the cars that I had, and, and this was during the winter time, so roads were kind of icy and slippery, and, and as I was driving along and taking a corner, and it was an icy corner, icier than I knew, and, and the car started to slide a bit. And I was headed for the ditch, but thankfully there was a curb there. So instead of going off the road into a ditch, my car just kind of careened off a curb and on my way. There was no damage. The car kept running. Didn't see anything wrong with it. No warning lights came on on the dashboard. Thought, all right, save me from the ditch. I'm okay. In days that followed that, I began to notice something, though. I noticed that, especially when I would go at a high speed, like on the highway or some of those roads with a faster speed limit, the steering wheel would sort of vibrate, and the whole car would shake a little bit in ways that I knew this isn't right. And I could sort of take it back to, okay, I wonder if I did something when I hit that curb with one of the front wheels that I better have this checked out. So yes, sure enough, brought it to the shop and they look, took a look at it and they said, oh, your wheels are out of alignment. That, that's what's causing that shaking to happen in the steering wheel to sort of bounce like that a bit. It wasn't a very hard fix for them to make. It wasn't very expensive, just quick fix to put the wheels back in alignment. I was on my way and everything was smooth again. Alignment of the wheels was rather important along the way. And it's not anything that I would notice just by looking at the car. Not anything I would notice in the way it starts up and the engine idles and runs. Not anything that I would notice by any lights or indicators on the dashboard. The only way I noticed was once I got up to speed, this turbulence started getting in the way. It was when it went into action of running on the road that all of a sudden it became evident something in the alignment is not right. I want us to consider that today. Let's consider how that works in our life of faith. A life of faith in which, you know what, many of us, let's, let's be honest, many of us have known about God, maybe grew up in the church our entire lives. We've learned about all of what it means to be people of faith. We know all the right answers to those questions. We know what it means to believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know what it it means to believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the grave. We believe that. We believe that God will come again and make all things new. We believe all the right things. There's no warning lights on the dashboard. There's nothing visibly wrong with the faith that we have. But does it feel sometimes like maybe when your life gets on the roadway of life, life starts to speed up, traffic is around, things are moving along, that sometimes there may be things that come along where faith feels a little bit shaky, that there's a little bit of turbulence along the way, I didn't see anything wrong. There's no warning lights. It looks like everything's good. Then why 
does faith sometimes feel a little shaky and turbulent? Let's consider today what alignment might have to do with that. Is it possible that maybe all we need is a little realignment in our faith that helps it to run a little more smoothly when life speeds up and things really start getting into into motion? I'm going to look at a passage today that comes from Romans. And here's how I'm going to do that. I'm I'm going to work through that in three sections. So I'm not going to read through the whole thing now. We're just going to break it into three chunks. And if you're looking at it in a Bible or if you see it printed in our bulletin, you'll notice how those breaks take place. There's sort of three paragraphs there. So it'll be on the screen and I'll go through those parts. But we're going to work through this in three pieces. So if you're taking notes to follow along, that's how we're going to work through these things in three pieces. Talking first about measuring alignment. Secondly, we'll talk about what inward alignment looks like. And then third, we're going to talk about what outward alignment looks like. All right, those are the three moves we're going to make. Measuring alignment, inward alignment, outward alignment. So here we go. Starting with Romans 13, And I'm going to begin at verse 8. It's what we just read as a follow-up to the Ten Commandments. Here's what Paul says. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The law of love. Let's start there. Let's talk about what it means to measure alignment because when my car needed a realignment, it had to go into the shop where they had special tools, tools that I don't have, to be able to measure what the alignment of those wheels were like and put them back in the right alignment. It had to be measured first. Paul, I think, is starting us out here on a path where he's giving us some tools, a tool to measure the alignment of our faith. And it has to do with what I'm going to call the law of love and what that looks like. Paul puts that in in some rather poetic language for us. Elsewhere in scripture you can see that, how he says that, that the law of love shows up. And it's something that we're going to see that takes place in the way that we love other people. That love for other people is what aligns my faith with God's heart. That's what Paul is after here. He's talking about all these commandments and all these ways to follow God and all the ways that God desires for us to live. But he says, you know what? The one thing that aligns all of that, all those rules that we try to follow, the one thing that aligns that with the heart of God is love. Particularly, Paul says, love for other people. The way we love one another is what takes all of those other rules that we follow, all those commandments that we've learned, takes all of that and aligns that with God's heart. 
Paul speaks of that elsewhere, too. And maybe this is a passage, I'm, I'm going to jump to another passage here from 1 Corinthians. Maybe a passage that you hear mostly at weddings, but it's not about romantic love. At least that's not Paul's intent when he wrote this. It's about the way the church lives together. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, If I speak in the tongue of men or angels, but don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul is giving us some instruction there, right? Some, some instruction on how the law of love aligns our faith. I am, I in particular, am a person who, I have an advanced graduate degree in biblical theology. Right? I spent years studying the Bible and learning how the Bible works and how it was put together. I can take any passage from Scripture and look at it in either its original Hebrew or Greek and translate and make those things happen. I, I, I've studied and learned about all of the different historical context and cultural nuance of the Bible and I've been given all the tools to take what God says in his word and to be able to accurately and correctly interpret that. But that means nothing without love. It's just, Paul says, a resounding symbol of gong. It's just noise is all it is if there's not love. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm not saying that, okay, you need advanced biblical theology degrees. No, it's probably the exact opposite. That any one of us here is equipped by God with the faith that we need to follow him. Because the thing that ties it all together is not the knowledge and the learning and the understanding, but it's the love. That God places that at the heart of our faith for every single one of us. And it is accessible to every single one of us. We can all have a faith that embraces what God desires for us, using that law of love to align our faith with God. It's the thing that aligns our faith with God's heart when we love others that way. So how do we check that alignment? I mean, it's easy for me to say that and put that down as sort of the, the lesson, the takeaway for today, right? You want to have a faith that is aligned with God's heart? It's about the law of love. But how does that actually come into play when maybe we need to admit our faith needs a little realignment? Maybe when we get those points in life, and we all do, where faith feels like it's a little shaky. There's a little turbulence along the way. Let's consider how that alignment takes shape then, okay? So I'm going to keep reading. Keep reading back from Romans. So this is picking up right where I left off, and here's what Paul is talking about in inward alignment. Here's what he says. And do this. 
Understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. An inward alignment. Let's consider this then. Let's consider how this law of love, first of all, becomes an inward alignment for us. Because what Paul is talking about here in these verses is a law of love that begins by looking at my own life. This this what Paul is holding up for us in this section of the passages is a mirror to look at myself. Every single one of us, a mirror to look at ourselves, look at our lives. We don't pull this piece apart from what Paul has said about the law of love. Because you know what? Maybe that's easy to do. Maybe it's easy to take just that little section I just read in the middle of this passage and pull that out as a checklist. A checklist for good moral behavior. Yep, I can check all those things off. Got it. That's not what Paul is after here, though. It's not meant to be a checklist for how to behave and live in a way that follows the purity that God wants for us. And here's why. Because the only purity that you and I ever have comes from the sacrifice of Jesus. Period. The only righteousness that we ever have comes from Christ. Period. Following these rules doesn't get us any closer to that. It's not about checking off a list to make ourselves more pure before God because it can't be done by anything we do. It's all been done by Christ. So why would Paul say this then? Why would Paul put in front of us this invitation? And that's what it comes as, as an invitation. You read that there. Paul says, let us do this. Let us live in ways that are consistent with what we've learned, right? Let us behave decently, not carousing and drunkenness, not sexual immorality, not debauchery, not dissension, not jealousy. So why would Paul put out what looks like this checklist of, all right, so these things don't make you any more pure with God, but you know what? I'm inviting you to do this anyway. Let's consider that as an inward alignment, that maybe there are ways that we live, ways that are informed by the world around us that create roadblocks, barriers, stumbling blocks for being able to love other people the way God loves other people and desires and calls for us to love other people. Maybe what Paul is inviting us to here is not so much a checklist of here's how you can have the perfect moral life, but here's a way that you can realign the way you live so that you can remove any barriers and roadblocks that are in the way to loving other people. Maybe that's what Paul is after here. 
Here's how you can realign the inward part of your own soul to better love other people. Because consider some of the things on that list that Paul says. Here's what you should get rid of. Drunkenness, debauchery, sexual immorality. The the Greek here doesn't really have a, a word that we use today. We call it sexual abuse. They don't really have a word in Greek that comes over that way. But consider the context of how that plays out. Any patterns of behavior that hurt other people. Patterns of behavior that we embrace that, that cause harm to those around us is a misalignment of our faith. That's what Paul is inviting us to. Saying, I, I want you to align your faith so that the way that you live and the habits and the patterns and the lifestyle that we embrace doesn't harm other people, but rather loves other people. That's the invitation that Paul gives here. That's what those lists are meant to be for us. Not checklists of do's and don'ts and you must this and you must not that, but it's a pattern that puts in front of us how to live in ways that love instead of harm, that embrace instead of hurt. That's what he's after here. Do you see that? That's what Paul is leading us towards as an inward alignment. Remove those barriers that keep me from loving other people in the way that I live and and how I conduct my life. That's why it's an invitation that's meant to be personal. That's why this is a section in which Paul intends for this to be a mirror that we put up in front of ourselves not a standard we hold for other people. This is something where I look at my own life, my own faith, the way that I live and say, how can I align myself to better love other people and to hurt people less, if at all possible? It's personal that way. Not meant to be a list of rules that we enforce for everyone. Let me say a little bit about that. Because it comes as an invitation. Twice in this this section, Paul says, let us. An invitation for us. Not a command. Be sure that all of you, or make sure that everyone around you lives this way or does this. But an invitation for us to do that personally. Now, it may seem logical, I guess, in some ways to say, but if this is what God wants and desires for us to live in ways that don't don't hurt other people, then wouldn't it be a good thing for us to require everyone to live that way? It seems like that makes sense, that we ought to require all people to live like that. But that's not where Paul is going with this. In fact, he's giving us some explanation for that if we keep reading about why this is about personal reflection of our own alignment, but then look at how this plays out as an outward alignment that we live into the lives of those around us. All right, continuing then. Here's coming with chapter 14, where it continues. Here's what Paul says. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. 
One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Paul's giving us a little bit of a different picture here now. I mean, it, it went in a direction where it was an inward alignment where there were ways that we should examine our own souls so that we can align our faith with God's heart. But now when it comes to how that outwardly expresses, the outward expression of that alignment, Paul seems to be turning in a different kind of direction here, doesn't he? Don't judge those other people around you if they don't have all the same standards in place that you have. Because God is working through them just like he's working through you. Your concern, my concern, is just on how God is molding and shaping my heart. Not to be the moral police of how other people are being formed and shaped by God. That seems to be what Paul is after here. A little bit of explanation here of exactly what Paul is talking about. What do you mean eating vegetables or choosing to eat this or not eat that? This is a reference to what uh, in the Old Testament were kosher eating rules for the Jewish people. So the church at this time, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. There are some Jewish Christians who are living in Rome. People who would have been born and brought up in the Jewish, the Old Testament Jewish faith. And they would have learned there are certain dietary laws that we all keep. Things that we must not eat because eating certain things made them unclean, impure, unrighteous. They grew up with that and they continue to practice that even after coming to know Jesus. It's a part of their upbringing. It's a part of how they follow God's desires. But for the Gentile Christians, for, for the people of the Greek Hellenistic culture in Rome who came to hear the gospel message and believed it but didn't know anything at all about these kosher eating rules, they didn't follow that. That's what Paul is addressing here, that there's a church community in Rome where some of them have strict eating laws that's tied to their faith and others don't. They didn't see that or understand that. And it's causing some friction. It's causing the wheels of their faith to be a little shaky. There's some turbulence along the way as they're trying to navigate the road of life together in their faith. So this is where Paul has to step in and say, you know what, each one of you, you take a look at your own heart and look at the way that you live. And wherever you see ways that you live that throw barriers and roadblocks in the way of being able to love other people, get those things out of the way. And then, embrace other people, even if they don't share some of those same habits that you do. I stopped at verse 4. 
in, in chapter 14 here, but actually this is the teaching that Paul carries all the way through chapter 14 and into the first half of chapter 15. So there's so much more that we could say or read about it. In chapter 15, verse 7, he summarizes it in this word. He says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Just as Christ accepted you. That we are people who've been accepted by Christ. Not because of anything we've done, right? We say that so often. It's not by the way that we live. It's not by how perfect we are. But it's by God's love for us that we are accepted through the sacrifice of Jesus. And Paul is saying, love other people like that. Accept other people the way God accepts other people. Not based on the perfection of how they live, but on their value as a person who's loved by God, created by God, redeemed by God. Accepting others who share the same faith that we have in Jesus. We live in a world where there's so many different languages and cultures and I will tell you, I've enjoyed over the last couple of weeks hearing the, the African church that shares our building in the afternoons now, hearing them come in and rehearse. It's a language I don't speak and I don't understand the words of the songs that they sing. But the way they do it has a beauty to it because it expresses the same faith in Jesus that we have. It's a different style and a different language and a different expression, but it's the same faith that we live in a world where there are so many others who share the faith that we have in Jesus, but maybe live in ways and value things and express themselves in ways that are very, very different from us. So that's why Paul says in this section, verse 1, don't quarrel about disputable matters. Let go of disputable matters. I kind of wish that, that Paul would have maybe included an itemized list with that. Disputable matters, that, that's such a foggy area. Can you just give me a list of exactly what that is? Tell me what are the disputable matters so that I know. It doesn't happen here, though, because times change, cultures change, people change, and the matters that we dispute change. And it may be very easy for me to identify in other people. Yeah, those things that you're so hung up on, that's a disputable matter. But what happens when it comes at me, right? Every single one of us maybe has an issue or two somewhere in our lives where other people may point at me and say, you know what, that's a disputable matter, but I'm not going to see it that way. I don't think that's disputable. All right, here's how that goes in my house. In my kitchen pantry, I am insistent. There is one right way to close the bag of chips. Only one. And I'll tell you what, it's not crumpling the whole thing into a ball and shoving it in the back of the pantry. That's not it. In my mind, that is not a disputable matter. Get it right. 
By the way, the same thing goes for the cereal box. You don't close the cereal box by just shoving the bag as far down in the box as it can go with your foot if you have to. That's not how you keep the food fresh. To me, that doesn't seem very disputable. I'm not asking too much. Fold the bag up the right way. But other people may look at that and say, what is the big deal? Why are you so crazy about how people close a bag of chips? That seems like something that could be disputable. We've all got things in our lives that maybe we're passionate about, that we hold pretty dear to our own hearts. And we would say, don't come at me telling me that's a disputable matter. My way is the one right way. It takes a little self-examination then, doesn't it, to look at our own lives and maybe identify some of those places where we're holding on pretty tightly to some things that we think everyone should hold on tightly to, but it just doesn't work out that way. It's disputable. There's more than one way to go about it, more than one point of view that can be taken. And let's face it, we live in a world right now that is built on dividing by disputable matters, right? That we live in a culture and in a society that has drawn very sharp lines between things that divide us on matters that, let's admit it, it's disputable. There's more than one point of view. There's more than one way to look at it. There's more than one way to go about it. But we divide by that. Divide by that in ways that not only put us on one side and others on another side, but look at the world around us. It looks at the people on the other side and identifies them as enemies because they don't do it my way. They don't see it the way I do. They don't hold the same values that I hold. And so we live in a world that is completely shattered by disputable matters. Paul is calling us here today through the word of God to realign our faith, to embrace a faith that aligns our faith with God's heart in the way that we love other people. Because when we do that, it shows God's heart. God's heart shows up. When we choose to love and embrace and accept and fold in people for whom the world would tell us you have no reason whatsoever to embrace and love and support a person like that. But when we do, it says something. It says something about our faith and it says something about God's heart, doesn't it? That God speaks through his people that way. And it shows It shows when other people feel that embrace, when other people feel that love and acceptance, and they know there's no reason in the world why you should accept me. There's no reason in the world why you should embrace me. There's nothing that I provide for you that merits this kind of embrace and acceptance. It shows. And other people look at that and they see it. The world looks at that and says, Whatever it is that they've got, 
that's a good thing, and I want that too. I want that kind of love. I want that kind of community. I want that kind of acceptance based on loving one another. It shows. And it comes that way because it reflects God's heart. That's what it comes back to. That we do that because God does that for us. We don't do that because it makes us better people, but because it's a reminder. God has loved us that way. God has accepted us when we had nothing to offer to be accepted. So may we live a faith that aligns with God's heart so that others may see God's heart in who we are and in how we live. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the way that you bring before us the truth that you desire for us. God, we're sorry for ways that maybe we've lived in ways that have tried to find all the right answers, tried to live by all the right orthodox behaviors, but have forgotten to love other people as the thing that aligns all of that together with your heart. Help us, first of all, today to see and remember that you are the one who aligns us to you, that you call us to that, that you've given us a gift beyond measure. And then, Lord, work through us, the people of your church, because we know the task is still out there before us to love your world the way that you love your world. Help us to do that with your heart as you align our faith with you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.